Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Daniel chapter 9. In the first year, Darius, son of Xerxes, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord, God, and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed. Now what's interesting here is this is kind of the, the ending, toward the ending of Daniel and the beginning of Esther. Uh, for those that have studied the book of Esther, the people here, there's about 50,000 uh, Israelites that go back, that Darius, uh, King Darius allows to, to go back to Israel. And, and uh, you'll remember uh, Xerxes, uh, uh, you know, was, was uh, the king when Esther rose up and, and became the queen. And uh, this is kind of those that, that stayed in, in Babylon versus those that went. So it's kind of the, the, the connection there for those the, uh, that are history people. But in 539 B.C., the, the Babylonians have conquered uh, or were conquered by the Medes and Persians. And this is the first year of, of King Darius' rule. And, you know, he's working in Babylon for Cyrus the, the Persian who is literally ruling the world, and you basically said, Hey, Darius, can, can you be king over here? Control these people. You just you take care of that for me. And that's what Darius was, was doing. You know, we've already gone over some of this history in previous sermons, so you might remember that Daniel received a new name when he went to Babylon way back. And Daniel's about 85 years old at this point, and he, he went to Israel, uh, Israel, he went to Babylon from Israel when he was about 14, 15 years of age. He didn't really have a choice in this name change, and he got the name Belteshazzar. He has survived three governments in Babylon, all three very different styles of of leadership, and and somehow the Lord has taken him through and and put him in an area of prominence in each one of those governments. And now he's working for the Medes, and and lately he's been having some really weird dreams as we've gone over chapter uh, 7 and chapter 8, and we kind of looked at it, and some of it we got, and some of it we're just like, I I don't even understand that. And now he's he's always been able to interpret these dreams, until now, and his dreams are just so bizarre. He, He has trouble understanding them. So he goes to the Scripture to gain some understanding, and I think that's key. So often we're troubled in life, or so often we're, we're troubled with different things, and we should be going to the Scripture to read, to, to find out about God, and God can reveal through His Spirit uh, to us and how to deal with different situations. And Jeremiah, as is, is Daniel was reading here, Jeremiah was writing when, when, when Daniel was a young teenager, and, and he wrote about the, the future, and, and you know, so, so what better place to, to find some help? God's words just jump out in Jeremiah 25 to, to Daniel, jump out to, you know, off the page to Daniel as, as Jeremiah starts to realize that what he's writing about was Daniel and the Jews in Babylon. Jeremiah wrote it 70 years earlier. And Daniel now sees it as Scripture. And in Jeremiah 25.3, we read some of the, the very same sentences 
that Daniel would have, uh, would have read. It says, for 23 years, God basically is saying, I've been saying the same thing for 23 years to you guys, and you have not been listening. For 23 years, and in verse 4 it says, And though the Lord has sent all his servants and the prophets to you again and again, you have not listened or paid attention, any attention. They said... Turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices. And you can stand the land the Lord gave you and your, your fathers forever and ever. Do not follow other gods and serve and worship them. Do not provoke me to anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. And if you look throughout the whole of, of the Old Testament, you will see this over and over again. As God continually pours out you know, this frustrated sense with his people. He's going, I've blessed you. I've, I've done so many things for you, and, and you keep going the other direction. Why do you keep doing that? Come back to me. And you, you get this sense of frustration in the Old Testament. You know, he calls, he calls uh, the Israelites his bride. It's like a husband who, who truly loves his bride, but his bride keeps, you know, having adulterous affairs. And the husband keeps coming and saying, I'm loving you, I'm providing for you. Why do you keep doing this? Honey... Where have you been? Well, I don't want to talk about it right now. But, but honey, where have you been with him, haven't you? Now, I'm not picking on women. It could be reversed here, okay? But since God calls us his bride, that's kind of the, you know, the analogy I'm using here. And this is God's heart saying, you have been with those other gods, haven't you? And he constantly cries out to them. In Jeremiah 25, 7, it says, But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. You have provoked me with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord Almighty says this, Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylon, declares the, uh, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely, uh, uh, let's see. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn, and an everlasting ruin. I will banish them from the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of the bride and the bridegroom, the sounds of millstones and the lamp, or the light of the lamp. Daniel reads this and he goes, "Wow, this this is us. This is talking about." My generation here in Babylon, I'm a part of this group. Verse 11, it says, This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and the nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt. Now, this is kind of interesting for us to read. I mean, I love history, and if you're around here long enough, you're like, oh, okay, cool it with the history. I get enough of that. I got enough of that in high school. Don't give us more of that. But history is so key to what God says to us. Daniel has just witnessed the king of Babylon being punished. And then he reads about it in Jeremiah. And he's literally killed for his sins by the Persians. After 70 years. Talking about the scriptures relating to you. Daniel is having that, that moment it is like us reading about the end times and, you know, when it talks about Israel coming back together and the Lord gathering his people from all over the, the inhabitants of the earth. Well, guess what, people? That happened on May 14th or May 15th, 1948. 
Some of you are going, I remember that. And some of us are going, I read about that. So, you know, this is the feeling that Daniel is getting as he's reading Jeremiah. We're going to skip to Jeremiah 29.4, and it says, This is what the Lord God, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And Daniel again is thinking, this is us. When 70 years are completed for, ba- uh, completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. And then God confronts him with a scripture that, that many of us have memorized. And now you kind of get the, the context of this scripture. But Daniel is reading like it's written to him, to him, because it is. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring, bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where, I'm, where I banished you, declares the Lord, and bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. As we jump to, to Jeremiah 30, verse 3, and imagine what Daniel thought when he read this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave to the, gave their forefathers, uh, forefathers to possess. And down in verse 8. In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will break the yoke off their necks and will tear their, off their bonds. No longer will, their, for, will foreigners enslave them. Instead, you will serve the Lord their God, whom I will raise up from them. So do not fear, O Jacob, my, my servant. Do not be dismayed, O Israel, declares the Lord. I will surely save you out a distant place. Your, your descendants from, from the land of the exile, Jacob, will, ha- will again have peace and security, and no one will make him afraid. Now Daniel, as, a, as an 85-year-old man, you know, he is stunned to read that their years of captivity are almost over. Now, scholars debate exactly when the 70 years started, and I'll let them debate that. I'm not going to, you know, it's history. But Daniel knows it's close. He realizes, we get to go home. So what Daniel, you know, so what does Daniel do with this knowledge that Israel was, you know, about to, to go home? What does he do? I know what I would do. Man, I would buy some real estate in Jerusalem. I mean, right now, it's just a little off. You know, no one really wants to live in Jerusalem at this point. Imagine the money it can be made. Talk about inside knowledge. Or maybe some kosher eating places along the way. Open up a chain of restaurants. 50,000 people are about to head home. So what does Daniel do? Well, in verse 3 of Daniel 9, it says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with Him in prayer and petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Now, before we read this confession, I want to point out something about prophecy. Usually when prophecy is involved, you will notice that confession is there. Usually confession happens and then prophecy is fulfilled. 
So if you're into prophecy and trying to, trying to figure it out, you know, debate the end times, and you know, I mean in a healthy way. It's, you know, some of these debates are good debates, as long as you don't walk away mad at each other. I've never done that. You know, what, what, what usually happens is we go find a guy that, you know, has, you know, that's studied all the prophecies and, and we read his book and we go, oh, I agree with this guy, but I don't agree with that guy. And so I find everybody agrees with this and I'm mad at them. That's usually what we do. You're wrong. It says here in verse 3, So I turned to the Lord God with prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed... Now, wouldn't it be great if every time we read something biblically significant and it was shown to us, that we would actually stop and pray and confess? I think I'd be confessing a lot more. Do you know the way to resurrect a prayer life? The way to resurrect your prayer life is to get into the Scripture. Literally, just get into the Scripture. I mean, how many of you would be honest and say, hey, in the last 60 or, or, or 90 days, you know, your, your prayer life has been a little flat, you know? Maybe just a little. I know you're not used to being honest at church. I understand that. But literally, a show of hands. How many of you would say, hey, the last 60 or 90 days, I, you know? Now, I know we can all improve. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, don't be ashamed. I'm not trying to go, hey, look at you. No, be encouraged. Be encouraged to to get into the Word. I mean, I go through these times too. You know, know, at least, well, you know, at least I did before, but I became so spiritual. But, you know, I journaled it so later I could remember how, you know, I was. You know, that was back when I was so prideful. You know, re- yeah, sorry, I couldn't help myself. But, you know, reading Scripture is a very good way to resurrect a dead prayer life. One way to do this is tomorrow morning, don't pray. <gasps> the pastor told you not to pray. Yes, I'm telling you not to pray. What I want you to do is get into the Word. Maybe read a psalm. Or pick a book of the Bible that over the next 30 to 60 days, you know, pick, pick an easy book. Don't pick Leviticus. I mean... I find Leviticus interesting. You may not. I'm weird. I can't help that. But take 10 minutes and read a few verses and then pray. And this is what I want you to pray. Lord, please help me apply these verses to my life this week. That's it. Then read it one more time. Then pray the same prayer and go on with your day. Now do, the next, do this the next day and ask, did, did this apply to me? If it did, man, keep reading. If it didn't, read a few more verses and go, Lord, can you apply this to my life this week? You'll be amazed with what the Lord will show you. I mean, you can try this. If it doesn't work, you can get your money back. Now, the great thing about doing it this way is you, you really get two birds with one stone. You're really learning about God by reading the scriptures. And you're also starting to resurrect the prayer life that you felt like, man, I, I, I never thought it could be resurrected. I never thought I could go back to, to having a daily time with the Lord. Look at what Daniel says here in verse 3. He says, so I turn to the Lord God. And the word turn in the, in the, the Hebrew is nathan. 
That's where we get the word Nathan. Well, you know, we named all our kids Nathan. That's why, you know, my, my little one's middle name is Josiah. It means fire of the Lord. I want him to have a, a passion for God. Nathan means to turn. It means to designate or, or to commit. So Daniel is saying, I was focused. I focused myself toward God. Solomon, who lived 450 years before Daniel, would have been so proud of him. Because in 1 Kings 8, when Solomon dedicated the temple, he had this long prayer. He said, when they sin against you, they will be dragged off into captivity. And in verse 33 it says, when your people Israel have been defeated by the enemy because they have sinned against you, when they turn back to you and confess your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave to their fathers. So Daniel is doing what Solomon had hoped that they would do. That they would confess and repent and then partner with God in unlocking their own captivity. And this is an interesting thing. Sometimes we get ourselves into bondage. Sometimes we get into bondage not because of our own actions. And sometimes it is because of our own you know, actions. A really tough situation. And we're in this long-term bondage where we go, Man, I, I don't know if God's going to rescue me anytime soon. I, I don't, I'm looking out on the horizon and I just don't see God. But the Lord is always the key to unlocking that bondage. And it starts with confession and repentance. I do want to point out that that Daniel could have figured this out 45 years earlier. He could have read, you know, Jeremiah 45 years earlier, but the Lord waited for some reason for him to study this and connect the dots. But he still would have had to wait another 25 years uh, before they were released. Why? Because the Lord said 70 years. Sometimes the Lord has a time frame to these things. And this is where where bitterness, you know, creeps in for some of us. We pray and we recognize our sin and then, you know, we repent. We stop doing whatever it is and and a month later we're like, well, well, Lord, I mean, when is this problem going to be solved? I pray about it. I pray, you know, I I confessed it. When when am I going to be out of this captivity? You know, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes it's years in the making we get into this captivity, you know, into this bondage, into this thing that's holding us back. And we finally realize it and go, oh, wow, this is, the sin is just this holding me back. We pray and confess it. We go, turn around and go, okay. And we want it instantly fixed. Sometimes it takes longer than that. It's a lot like a child when they're sent to the room. You say, you know, and I'm sure I wasn't saying this because I know my mom said it to me enough. Go to your room and think about it. Four minutes later, we're like, Mom, I thought about it. And she's like, no, no, no. You got another 56 minutes to think about it. Now go back in and stand there. And for 56 minutes, we're sitting there going, I, I, I thought about it already. Eventually, you will be released from that bondage. Because we have an even better covenant, covenant than what Daniel has. We have Christ. But we also need to be patient. Be patient with, with God who is so patient with us. On a scale of 1 to 10, how patient has God been with you? Anyone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't say 11, it's 1 to 10. But we're all like 15, 25. Then why are we so, but Lord, I thought about it. Now save me. 
Why are we like this? Because the world we live in revolves around us and we say, Lord, I said I was sorry. I'm still wiping the tears out of my eyes for, for being so sorry. And, and the Lord is, you know, we're like, great. The Lord's like, great, you're sorry. But now the Lord has to, you know, work together with those who are called according to his purpose. The Lord has to work with us to get us out of that bondage. We think it should, should all come together this afternoon. And believe me, it won't. Now watch, somebody will say, Alan, I prayed and I confessed and it all came together this afternoon to make myself out as a liar, you know? Ye of little faith. But I, what I love about this is that Daniel takes it very serious. He, he fasted, he put on sackcloth, and, and sackcloth is like burlap, it's, it's very scratchy material, it's to remind us. It was often back then made of camel hair. Mourning the sins of his people. He's being righteous. It's like what James, you know, in James 5, 16, it says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. That really defines Daniel. But Daniel goes on. In verse, verse 3, it says, and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting, sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all, with all who love him and obey his commands. Now it's interesting what he is doing here. He's starting out his prayer with, with God, you are awesome. God, you, you, you are great. God, you, you are mighty. You are merciful. And any prayer of length in the Bible, and it usually starts out with this David and, and Solomon and, and Isaiah and Joseph and, and Moses and, and even Jesus. The disciples say, teach us, teach us how to pray, Lord. Teach us how to pray, Christ. What did he say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He starts his prayer by focusing. And for Daniel, it's not on the 70 years. Hey, God, we've been waiting on you. Time is up. You who? God, hello. Where are you? Did you notice I'm wearing sackcloth? I mean, I know I make this look good. But Daniel starts his prayer based on, on God, not based on his circumstances, not based on his, on his current feelings. Not based on his, on his recent behavior or not, you know, based on his current state of holiness. If it were about him, he would do it completely different. You know, he could have done like many of us. Hey, big man, how's it going up there? I know I haven't talked to you in a while. And we're supposed to be buddies, you know, Abba Father. Christ says Abba Father. Means daddy. Hey, big man, hey, daddy. I know you're a loving God. Here's my problem. This is not how we, we talk to God. This is like making a cell phone call where you have no service. You can dial all you want, it's just not going to pick up. The way to approach God is like Daniel does. Oh, great and merciful God. Let me say five or six wonderful things about you. Now, why should we approach God like this? It has a lot to do with our ego and not God's ego. It, it kind of tampers down our ego. It helps focus us. What if we approach God with whatever mood we were in today? 
I mean, some of us would be, man, this is a great day. It's like a bluebird singing on my shoulder type of day. For those older folks, you got that. God is just so patient with us. When we act like, you know, when we act like this, the angels just kind of move away, step away from the human. <laughs> God's fixing to do something now. But what if I'm in a depressed mood? Oh, God, I'm just so, so depressed today. I've really been sad today. I mean, I mean God, it's just, oh, it's just bad today, God. Now, I'm not making fun of those that go through depression. Please, don't get me wrong here. I'll get letters and emails. But I'm just saying the moods that we go to God with. You know, Daniel lived his entire life in a, in a period of tribulation. From the moment that he was made a eunuch, <laughs> if you don't know what that means, look it up in the dictionary. I mean, on the way to Babylon, he's 13 to 14 year old, you know, 13 to 14 to 15 years old, and, you know, they're treating you well, you're part of the king's household, and, and you get there and you're like, they're going to do what to me? Or is it more like, they're going to do what to me? His whole life has been different periods of tribulation. All the way to being 70, you know, 70 years, 85 years old and being thrown, you know, at 70 years old he was thrown into the lion's den. We always picture him being younger. But no, he was an old man at that point, or older man. He never gets to see his mom again. He never gets to hang out with his cousins. You know, all those cousins that we just love. You would think that at some point, Daniel's going to pray, God, this is not fair. But instead, it's God, you were awesome. The decisions you make are, are righteous. And that means the decisions that you make that pertain to me. And this is very difficult for us. Because that means that anything that happens in our life that we don't like, we go, God, I think you really messed up on that one. I mean, you're really great, you're really good, except on this one thing that pertains to my life. I mean, God, Holy One, Creator of all things, I don't mean to complain, but what were you thinking? This is not Daniel's prayer. Daniel's prayer is everything you do is good. This is what happens in Revelations 19.2 when, when the elders and the saints who have just gone through the tribulation, uh, you know, they, they don't go, oh, glad it's finally over. Wow, how come we had to go through that? No, they're saying, God, you were awesome. Now, do you think they're just reasoning through it? Why, we, we had to go through that terrible time, but now we're with God, and, you know, or, or are they just saying this because this is the way they learn to, to approach God? I don't understand why this is happening, God. I don't understand why this, this cancer has popped up in my life. I don't understand why I just got fired this week. Just as Randy says, I don't understand why the stove went out, the heater went out, this happened, the car broke down. I don't understand these things. I don't understand why this, this person just rejected me and I feel so alone now. I just don't understand. But what does Daniel do? I will tell you that, that you know, tell you one thing that I do know, God, you are good. You are great. And everything you decide is right. And just because I don't understand, it just means that I am not you. I mean, I would have given me a, a cushy cotton candy ice cream type of day. But you know better. If you want to know and understand God, 
When you start talking to him, start out with something like, you were awesome. You were the creator of the universe. You stretched out your hands. You were merciful. And then, even though I don't understand why I'm going through this situation, your decisions are still good. Verse 5, he goes on and says, We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoken in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. He's saying, we should even be punished more here, God. We should have more shame. We don't even get it. Even after 70 years, we don't get it. We killed your prophets. Now, one thing that I love about Daniel here is he takes responsibility. I mean, think about it. Verse 5, he says, we have. In fact, he says it like two or three times. Verse 6, he says, we have. In verse 8, he says, us. In verse 9, we. In verse 10, we. Daniel, don't say we. Say they. Come on, be an American Christian here. Not me. It's not my fault. I didn't do the sinning. I didn't do it. I've been good. Oh, well, or yeah, I've sinned, but their sin is bigger than my sin. They. Ironically, Daniel's one of the, one of the few guys in the Bible, uh, the few uh, you know, men or women in the Bible, that we have no dirt on whatsoever. We don't go, man, you know, I mean, King David, we look at King David and go, you know, as we start to study in 1 Samuel, I love it because, you know, David's called a man after God's own heart, yet he messed up so many times. And you're sitting there going, not only did he mess up, I mean, look at what he did. Hello. Yet he's still called a man after God's own heart because he always turned back to God. But Daniel, he didn't do any of that. He stayed faithful. He's repenting for, for him and his people. And he doesn't even bring up Babylon. This is so different from America. You know, recently, and you know, someone probably won't like this. I'll get an email or a letter, but you know, it's never stopped me before. You know, 9-11, think about it, 10 years ago. A fundamentalist preacher went on the air and said the reason why we were attacked was because of the homosexuals. That America was, was wrapping their arms around homosexuals. Do you remember that? That doesn't sound like Daniel at all, does it? The Daniel, Daniel's not saying the reason things are going so bad in Babylon is because, you know, Babylon sinned. No, Daniel took responsibility. And we as a church need to start taking responsibility. We don't need to, we don't need to confess the sins of the homosexuals. We need to confess the sins of the church. That's not our job. We should love them. We should point out loving way. What you're doing is wrong, but we still love them. We need to talk to, you know, about ourselves and stop talking about others. Repentance. And what did they need to to repent of, to be released? 490 years earlier, God made a covenant with them. I mean, God gave them a great deal. He said, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to, I mean, just, he just kept going and going and going. This is everything I'm going to do for you. I just want you to follow some of these things. Don't intermarry with other races. Now, we're not talking about skin color here. 
The reason why he puts that in there is because he's saying, don't enter, you know, marry with that race because that race is worshiping another God. It's not about skin tone here. It's about who are you worshiping? You want to marry somebody who worships the same God that you worship. That's what it is. I want you to, to occupy the land. I'm going to take that land from other people. And, and uh, you know, we did an Israel series, and I think we have it uh, you know, online and stuff. But, you know, he can do that. He gave multiple warnings to people uh, uh, of all these different cultures living in that area and said, turn away from your e- evil and wicked ways. And they didn't. And then he said, obey my laws. Obey it. And not to worship other gods. Period. And then every seven years, I want you to leave the land alone. I want you to leave it fallow. I want you to, to walk away from the land and just let whatever grows, let it grow. Don't cultivate it. Don't, don't plant. Don't do anything to it. I mean, I'd love this a whole, you know, seven years, whole year off. Man, he's talking about spending some time in Hawaii. And then he said, take one day a week off. Relax. So what did they do? They made the Sabbath the hardest day to actually obey. They made up all these rules and, and you know, they even have little, you know, so many yards from, from a synagogue and, and uh, you know, and they put up these lines and even Israel today, they have these lines that go along and you can walk up to that point, but you can't walk past that point because then it's considered sin. So how did I get away from this? Hey, this is mine. Now I can go further. And then I take something else out. This is mine. Now I can go further. They made up all these rules and it was so hard to actually follow God. They didn't occupy the land. They intermarried. And for 490 years, there's no record that they let the land go fallow. So do the math. 490 years divided by 7 is 70 years. God let the land rest for 70 years from the Jews. So that is what they're repenting of. That's what he's repenting of. So let me ask you a simple question this morning. If you agree that you need to repent of something, what would that thing be? Now for some of us, something instantly comes to mind and we go, yeah, I need to repent of that. For others of us, our mind just keeps going and going and there's like a list. And there's nothing wrong with that. That just means the Holy Spirit speaking to you. But if you agree today that, that you are like the children of, of Israel and you need to repent, and God is saying, if you, want to, you, you know, if you want the 70 years to be up, if you want that bondage that you're in to be up, because the price has been paid, what would repentance and confession be about? Now the next personal question for you today is, why not do that starting today? Do you really love sin that much? Or have you come to the wise realization that the sin is hurting you? Because sin leads to suffering. Do you believe that? Do you believe that sin leads to suffering? Sometimes it's so obvious. I do this, here's the result, ooh, that, that hurt. Other times it's a little more subtle. But the point is, sin does lead to suffering. If we choose repentance, then what are we choosing? We're choosing recovery. Confession and repentance are at the beginning of the road toward recovery. And this is what Israel is about to do. Daniel will will stay because he's a little older. 
But, you know, we'll see, you know, about 50,000 of them go home. But a lot of them stayed. You know why a lot of them stayed? I'm kind of used to my life in Babylon. I kind of like it here. I've already got a wife. Okay, she's not Jewish, and I don't want to go back and deal with that all. You know, my wife isn't Jewish, and I go back to Israel. I don't want to deal with that. I'll stay in Babylon. And they stay in that bondage. But for those who go back, the road starts with confession and repentance. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, confession and repentance comes with a change. We have to choose to change our life in, in one way or another. And the warning of Daniel is that the sin is suffering and the change of lifestyle is recovery. You know, if I would have got to this sooner, I would have gone and got a whole bunch of sackcloth and cut up a whole bunch of pieces so we'd keep it in our pocket for the next 30 days to remind us of repentance, to remind us for, for the need of repentance. Because I think that's something that the church lacks so often, is actually going to God and saying, Lord, man, I, I really messed up on this one. Or Lord, I, I didn't really mess up on this one, but I've just been kind of going down that path of going the direction away from you. Let me repent that right now. Oh, you, you, you want me to change something? You want me to open up your word? Well, I mean, i got a great Bible. It's nice and leather, and it looks beautiful in my home, and... You want me to open that? Now again, don't feel guilty. I'm just saying that if you really, truly want to be released from from bondage that that sin puts you in, then how do you start that release? By building your relationship with God. Well, how do you build your relationship with God? Then we're back to the Sunday school answer. Open the Bible. We love that Sunday school answer. Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, Bible. We love that answer. But now we've got to put something behind it. Put something behind it. I want to encourage you this week to open that Bible, even if it's just for one verse, and say, God, can you help apply this to my life this week? Start with one verse and let it lead to another verse. I mean, pick a small book, 1 John, Philippians. Philippians is, for those that need encouragement, man, read Philippians. It's a great encouraging book. Even 1 John's a, a wonderful book. You know, don't pick a long book. Why don't we pray as we finish up here. Lord, I pray for those that your spirit is out there just just kind of tweaking them, just out there going, hey, I'm talking to you. I pray that first off, Lord, that we recognize your greatness. We recognize that you're mighty. We recognize your power and your majesty and, and, and just how big you are. And that out of that bigness, you come down as, as a little baby, vulnerable, just to save me. And then, Lord, after, I, after we recognize that, Lord, I, I pray that we get to a point where we start getting into your word, that we actually confess our sin and we say, Lord, I'm sorry about this. Help me not do this anymore. And, Lord, I, I pray that as we get into your scripture that you really start applying that to our life. Let us be like Daniel. As we, we read it, we go, wow, this is about me. This is about us. It's about today's church. But most of all, Lord, I pray that our relationship with you is repaired. That out of all of this, that that I not feel more guilty, but I feel more released. That I feel closer to you. That that I feel that that our relationship is being built. That is what I, I want to feel, Lord. That is what will encourage me, Lord. 
the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine down upon you. May His word just, just light up your life. May He increase your love, your hope, your mercy every day in your life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.